Hello and welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Marisa from the Tower Hill Production Team. Thanks so much for tuning in. Whenever or wherever you are listening from, we hope this podcast helps you grow in your faith and we hope you share it with someone else so that they can grow in their faith too. One of the big mysteries of the Christian faith is that of the Holy Spirit. We don't exactly know how it works. We know that it gives us courage and healing and wisdom, even when we feel inadequate or not good enough. And yet it's there and it's an integral part of growing our faith. Today, Pastor Jason continues this series called Activate, where we're looking at the Holy Spirit and how it really is the main thing to take us from fear to following. So let's listen in right now. In this sermon series, we've been camping out for the last few weeks on the Holy Spirit because it is such a mystery. How does he work in our lives? What does that look like? What are the mechanics of that? And after the service last week, my daughter, who was playing in the band, came to me and said, Dad, you were all over the place today. (laughs) And then, you know, like kind of realizing how that sounded, she's like, in the best way possible, you know. (laughs) But uh, I was. If you were here last week, let's see. Let's just go down the list. I talked about, go to the next slide, Harry Potter, The Born Identity, Jalen Hurts, The Martyrdom of Stephen, The Newsboys, and there was a Simpsons reference. So listen, yes, I was all over the place because I'm trying to nail down what it is that we talk about. We talk about living by the Holy Spirit because it's really complicated. And every time that I hear about it, I get a very theological answer which is great, but it doesn't help me figuring it out in the mechanics of my everyday life. So I was trying in an attempt to sort of land it in our everyday lives. So I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear that, to go back, and at the very least, you'll be like, yeah, you were all over the place. (laughs) But I think what we're trying to get at is this mystery of how moving from a place of fear to faith or fear to following has everything to do with the mystery of the Holy Spirit. It's like, again, the revival going on in Kentucky. It's, there's a part of me, seriously, that wants to just go drive there. For most of my adult life, I've been praying for revival. And I'm like, well, why is it happening there and it's not happening here? Or maybe it is. Why is it not happening in the way that I expect or the way that I wish or, or, or whatever? Why, the Holy Spirit is not something that I can control At the very best parts of my life, he's controlling me. But moving from fear to following is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in you. And I can't really, I mean, I could try to explain it, but it's really hard to explain. It's a spirit thing. Something about the Holy Spirit, when you say yes, again, hands raised a little bit more. When you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you'll find that your faith starts to grow. And it's not from you, it's the byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in you, filling you. And here's the thing, when the Holy Spirit reveals who you really are, and you understand your purpose in Christ, following becomes second nature. You know this because, you know, it's like every kid, they go off to college, and I don't know what I want to do, and I get there, and I guess basket weaving isn't a good major for me, so maybe I'll think about a different career path, like, I don't know what I want to do. And, but once you figure it out, 
Your path all of a sudden becomes very clear. Okay, I want to be a teacher. I got to follow these steps. Okay, I want to be a doctor. I want to follow the, I want to be a basket weaver. I follow these. Whatever it is, your path starts to become clear. This is true with the Holy Spirit in your life. You start to figure out who you are and what your purpose is. And your path starts to get clearer. So it actually gets easier to follow. It's easier not to experience fear because you're getting a, a, a lit pathway. Not just confusion where you feel like you're stuck. But here's the thing that will stop us in our tracks. We talked about fear and we all have all sorts of different fears and anxieties and phobias that get us in the way of ourselves. But there's another one that actually may be a little bit more insidious. And that's a fear of our past. Newsflash. We all have a past. Some pictures we hide from others. <laughs> that is my seventh grade hair. It looked exactly like my... Well, I'm not going to say that, but I... I, uh, yeah, I, how did my parents let me go on picture day with that hair? And then ninth grade where I thought I was just the stuff. And I don't know what that hairstyle was, but I think maybe it was a little Ralph Macchio. Like, I, I don't know what I was going for, but, you know, I thought it was cool. <laughs> Listen, we all have our past. And we all have pictures in the photo books. So people come over to the house and we're like, oh, let's get the pictures out or whatever. We get out the pictures. However... We don't show them all the pictures. Isn't this true of our lives? Like a museum, we curate the pictures we share. We want to get rid of those bothersome failures and dark points, struggles, sin, whatever. We don't share those pictures with people. We keep those safely hidden away. Why? Because it's all a source of shame. What do we say every time? It's like, I participated in 100% of the bad decisions I made in my life. We have shame around it. And we start to think, well, because of this shame, I don't want to put my life on display because there are pictures I, I want to remain hidden. I, and listen, we come to church, this is the wild part. So we come to church and everybody's putting their best foot forward. So then we start to think, everybody's all their best feet and not their worst feet. We don't see the 30 minutes before church when you're getting everyone out of the house. <laughs> or the 30 minutes after church when we're yelling at people in the parking lot. <laughs> we don't show those things. Here's the problem with that is that we, we lead each other to believe that, oh my gosh, everybody has it so much more together than me. They have their faith. They know so much more than me. I know so little. If they only knew... That's the thing I hear the most as a pastor. Pastor, if you only knew the stuff I've done in my life, you would know why I can't really be a good Christian or a good disciple or I can't really follow. And I'm just like, well, I don't know, I've heard it all. But what happens is people like put themselves in the penalty box based on their past, which is a tragedy. Because I don't believe that's what God wants. And somebody in this room, maybe many people in this room, you need to hear, you're not disqualified because of your past. There's always consequences of the things that we've done. But if you're afraid of the hidden pictures and feel like you're not good enough to move forward, I'm going to tell you that's a lie. 
And all it's doing is holding you back from being that person God's hoping you'll say yes to. Part of you may think that God has disqualified you based on your past or that others will. Like, oh, I could do some things. Like, I could make food for the potluck, potluck, you know. I could do that. I could bake cookies. I could maybe, if you push me enough, I could stand out front and say hello to people in the morning. But that's it. Because I'm disqualified from the really important things, as if those things weren't important. I'm disqualified from that stuff because of my past. All right. Well, let's address this through our next step in the journey of the book of Acts. Do you remember how the horrific story of the martyrdom of Stephen ended? It ended with this verse. And Saul approved of their killing him. Saul, who one day would become a follower of Christ, Paul, and was a huge part of the Christian faith moving to the ends of the earth. Let me put it to you this way. Is there a past more disqualifying than killing Christians? Is your past worse than that? I don't think so. He was not disqualified from God using him. Quite the opposite. So let's jump into his story a little bit. This is Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called it at first, belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Who is this guy? Why is he against the church? What is his story? Why is it such a big deal that he eventually became an apostle? Well, here's what we know about Saul of Tarsus. Who is he? He was a Pharisee who was, uh, came up through the ranks. Uh, this is from the Anchor Bible Dictionary, which is one of my favorite references. Considering himself an Orthodox Jew, he was zealously committed to eradicating apostasy. He became a member of the Pharisee sect and took it upon himself to persecute the Christian church. And here's his own story from Galatians chapter 1. He says it this way. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Next verse. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Basically, he was this very sharp, youngish leader who people were looking up to as an example. He was, all right, he was a rock star, okay? Just like, you know, throw up that next one. There you go. He, he was a rising star among the Pharisees. And he, why was he persecuting Christians? Because he felt they were all blasphemers. They said that this Jesus was God. No, that is not what the law says. He was an expert. As he neared Damascus, let's continue with the story. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Again, we read this so fast. 
But I'm just trying to get myself back into, like if I were Saul going through, a light from heaven flashed around him. What was that? Was it like a spotlight? Did it flash around him? Was it like lightning? What was it? It had to be terrifying, whatever it was. So much so he fell to the ground off of his horse. I don't know how far that is, but it had to hurt. And heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can you just get your head around this moment a little bit? Terrifying, disorienting. Uh, It doesn't even make sense. Like, am I going crazy? Is everyone else hearing this voice? More of that in a minute. He says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now imagine his takeaway. What? This whole time? <laughs> Here's what Jesus says. So remember, he's on his way to Damascus to, find, to round up Christians and throw them in jail. Here's what Jesus says. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. In other words, continue your journey to Damascus, but you're going for a different reason. I can tell you what that is now. I'll tell you when the time's right. Right? The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. So he gets up. So the flash of light goes to the ground, hears the voice, gets up, and he can't see. How terrifying would that be? It's sort of like, have you ever had the experience where you're sick, or maybe you got the flu or something like that, and even though it only lasts like a couple of days, you feel like, oh, I'm never going to get better. There's always that fear of like, it's never going to get better. We do this in our lives too. Like if we're going through a tough season in our life, it's never going to get better. I don't know if that's a coping mechanism. I don't know what that is. But we do it. And I imagine, what was Saul thinking when he got up and then he couldn't see? Is this it? Is this it for my life now? And they led him by the hand into Damascus. So he's going to come in literally on his high horse. He ends up being led by hand as he couldn't see into the city. Talk about humility, humble pie. Call it whatever you want. This was not what he thought was coming for him. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Later on we hear about him praying, so perhaps he was fasting as a way to hear from God. I'm not sure. Or just shaken up from the experience. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Next one, please. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. (laughs) In other words, are you sure? We heard of this guy. He's no good. Are you sure this is the one you might like? 
Did you get this right, Lord? Or, and we do this all the time when we hear God calling us to do something, is there anyone else you could send who's more qualified than me? I'm sure you got somebody. Because if I'm it, we're in trouble. Continues, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. What? Okay, listen, you need to hear this. His chosen instrument. He was killing Christians, and he was God's chosen instrument. I don't care what you think your own sin or your own past has disqualified you from, but don't believe it for a minute. If he could be God's chosen instrument, why not you? You have access to the same Holy Spirit. You have been called by God to live this beautiful, spirit-filled, purposeful life. All those things that you're chasing, mostly to do with peace, fulfillment, those are all the things that God wants to give you. They're all still in front of you. And yet for some of you, and I do this too sometimes, is I stop moving forward because of my past. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brothers, listen to that. I love the way he approaches him because he's clearly scared of Saul. So he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, remember this, remember the Jesus? Remember that whole thing? And remember he said somebody was coming? That's me. Just make sure we're good. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This was the beginning of a new life for Saul. A new purpose. Radically different. Couldn't be any more different. Completely transformed. Even the whole thing with he couldn't see, and now all of a sudden he can see. And of course, Jesus is probably accomplishing a lot of things I don't understand, but one of the things he's definitely accomplishing is, this is a new start for you. You were blind, but now you see. Your whole life now is going to be about you being my chosen instrument for the world. So he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, who, of course, were, I'm sure, overwhelmed and amazed that he was even there worshiping with them, participating in life together with them. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I often think, you know, because people are always looking for proof. How do you know that the resurrection is real? I just look at Saul's story. He had everything to lose and nothing to gain in, in the world's eyes by leaving his very successful Pharisee life behind to follow this soon-to-be-persecuted group of the way he had nothing to gain he had everything in society's eyes or his own jewish society's eyes 
and he gave it up to go immediately say, oh yeah, Jesus is the son of God. To put himself out there immediately. Like not only did I have this life-changing experience, but I'm going to start talking about it right now. It says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now watch this. So then, this is going really well for Saul. And then they go to Jerusalem with the the OG, the original disciples, and see how that goes. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. What happened to Saul happens to us all the time. We have an experience of God where we feel a breakthrough. And what happens to us is what happened to Saul. Saul gets to Jerusalem. He began a new life in Christ, but was immediately confronted by his past. As if to squash this new creation he had become. This happened with Jesus. He's baptized. We hear the voice from heaven. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. What happened? The very next thing. He's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And what does Satan say? If you are really the son of God, do this. If you're really the son of God. He's testing his identity as God sees him. Jesus takes Saul's life and says, you're now my chosen instrument. What does he do? He's immediately confronted by his past. And that's not from God. But that's something that happens to all of us. We say, okay, listen, I am, I'm starting today. I'm going to say yes to Jesus again. I'm going to say yes to a life of faith again. And usually what happens is right after that we're tested. Because that's not from God though, that's from the enemy, you realize that. Because there is nothing worse, listen, I'm not the kind, you've heard me say this before, I'm not the kind of person that over-spiritualizes everything, like I trip because the devil stuck his leg out. I think I trip just fine all by myself. But I do think there's a spiritual reality that we have to acknowledge. There is an evil that is actively fighting against good. And if you can't turn on the news and realize that, I'm not sure what to tell you. What does Satan want to do most? Get you to stop following. What's a tactic he uses over and over again? The shame of your past. Don't buy it. Because it's not true. The truth is, God doesn't define you by your past, so why do you? Again, your past might have consequences, but it doesn't have to define you. And that, that's for all of us. Can God really use me? How can God, can God take me from fear to following, even with my hidden pictures, all the stuff that I don't let anybody see? Yes. Listen, and I don't know who needs to hear this today, 
But hear this when I tell you, your past has shaped you, but it does not have to define you. We're all shaped by our past. It's who we are. It does not have to define you. Well, you know, I've never been good at following Jesus before, therefore I never will. No, garbage. I was never good at this. I never did this well. I never, garbage. Your life is in front of you. What's behind, you can't do anything about. Yet so much of our lives is spent looking back over our shoulder at our sins, mistakes, shortcomings, failures. All those things do, that just all be fuel for gratitude. God, thank you that you saved a wretch like me. Thank you that I was blind and now I see. Thank you that you took the scales off my eyes and why me? I didn't deserve it and yet you made me a chosen instrument of your glory. Why? Thank you. Now help me live it. I think God wants to take everything we are and redeem it. He wants to redeem your past. Broken pieces and all. It reminds me of when you see artists sometimes put together those mosaics. And oftentimes they do it through broken pieces, broken glass, broken material, and place it in such a way that it creates this beautiful piece of art. I feel like that's a little bit of what God does with us. He takes our broken pieces and he redeems them. He's making a picture, a different picture than we see ourselves, something with so much more beauty and life and purpose. So, what do we learn from Paul? I think we learn, or excuse me, Saul. He hasn't started going by Paul yet. He will, obviously, to signify this new life, this new person that he is. He goes from Saul to Paul. But what do we learn? The first is, I think God wants you to see. I think Jesus, all the time, is saying, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he's just waiting for the scales to fall off our eyes. And he'll let us walk around with those scales as long as we want because he's not going to force it on us. But he wants us to say yes. He wants us to believe. He wants us to trust. He wants us to start following. And I think secondly, God wants you to trust. Get up and go to the city. Just trust. I'm going to lead you to where, where I need you to go. And where I lead you is going to be better than wherever you lead yourself. That's the thing that we have to trust. And I think God wants to show you a new picture. Not to worry about all the hidden pictures, but the new picture, the redeemed version of you that has everything you'll ever need because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Look, I mean, look what happened to Paul. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament and plants over 20 churches. He literally is critical in making the Christian movement happen. What do we see is that God uses Paul to help fulfill what was said in the beginning of the book of Acts. That was from Acts 1.8 that says, go on to the next one, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, fulfilled through the ex-persecutor of Christians. I'm not sure what you feel is stopping you from saying yes to a life of faith more. You know what I mean? Not just believing here, 
but living. There are a lot of things that make us scared. Don't let it be your past. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came not about your past. He came to give you a hope and a future. It might not look pretty yet up close. But I think God is creating a beautiful mosaic that reveals his glory with your life and my life, our lives together. That's the picture I think God wants you to see. And when you start doing that, when you start believing that, you start to activate your faith.